Today's week three of our journey through the book of Mark. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Mark chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 14 where we left off last week. And I've titled this sermon today, Perfect Timing. Perfect Timing. And here's what I want you to hear from the very beginning. I'm going to lay this foundation for you. And I hope this begins to speak to you throughout this entire message. Every follower of Christ will experience times of doubt and discouragement. Every follower of Christ. Every single one of us at some point as followers of Jesus we're going to experience times of doubt, sometimes disbelief, sometimes discouragement. Jesus is always speaking. God is always speaking to us. And, and God is always calling us out of that dark place, calling us to himself. And, and I promise you that if you listen for his voice, and you will follow his lead, no matter where you find yourself, he will lead you to a place of joy, peace, love, contentment, and get your life back on track with the purpose that he has planned for your life. How many of you know that? Yeah. So, we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, and, and here's what I want you to know. You know, there was, there was last week we ended up with the, the Spirit of the Lord um, driving Jesus into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan the entire time. Afterwards, he came out full of the Holy Spirit. While he was there, you had the animals that he was with. The animals were in the, in the, in the wilderness with him, and the angels ministered to him. All right, we left off on verse 13. And you would think, can everybody hear me okay? Okay. And you would think that based on Mark's writing here, that Mark picks up this theme, and it's just a continuation of what happened in the wilderness, right? But here's, here's the key. That's not the case. There's about a year's worth of time, maybe better than a year's worth of time, that expires between the end of the 13th verse and the beginning of the 14th verse. About a year. Hmm. So, let me read this to you, because I believe it's, it's after the first year of Jesus' ministry that Mark picks up here. So, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, after John was arrested important. Jesus came into Galilee. That's important. Proclaiming the gospel of God and saying hmm. Hmm. the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Lord, slow my mind down. There's so much I want to say right now. So John's arrested. Here's what you need to know. There was a period of time before John was arrested, about, about six months where Jesus had started his ministry, and the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of John were overlapping 
each other. About a six-month period of time. Um, so something else I want you to understand is the reason why the, the writers of the gospel don't necessarily dwell on those facts, not all of them, is because the gospel writers didn't write in terms of chronology. They weren't really concerned about making sure that everything that they wrote was in sequential order. Instead, they were more concerned about writing based on themes. And so you'll see the writings of the gospel, you'll see uh, uh, parables grouped together, you'll see miracles grouped together, you'll see the proclamations of Jesus Christ grouped together. Okay, because the, the writers of the gospels weren't so much interested in making sure all of the chronology was matched up. Chronology, chronos. In this passage, Jesus makes this statement, the time is fulfilled. If you remember a couple of weeks ago when we were teaching on the shapes, I mentioned that there are two forms of times that the Greeks give us. The first is chronos, that's chronological time. That's, time, that's a time span of all humanity. And more specific to us, chronos is a moment in time. It's our moment in time as individuals. It's, it's for us, from the time we draw our first breath, get slapped on our behind and start crying, to the time we exhale our last breath and we leave this life for the next life. That's, that's chronos. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. When Jesus says the time is fulfilled, he's talking about a moment in time. He's talking about a moment in time where the kingdom of God, God's methods and systems and ways of doing things, invades our kingdom, our reality, and produces a moment in time where we clearly know that God is speaking. It could be good, it could be bad, it doesn't matter. It's whatever God uses to get our attention in that time. So Jesus makes this statement, the time is fulfilled, kairos. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's right now. There are two things you need to do. Repent and believe the gospel. Let me keep going. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting their net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. I love that word become. That word become in the Greek means process. Jesus was telling the disciples, when you come to follow me, you're not going to instantaneously be a, a fisher of men. But instead, I'm going to take you through a process where as you hang out with me, as you learn to do what I do, you're going to become fishers of men. You're going to be my disciples and learn how to fish for men just like I know how to fish for men. You guys with me? You following me? Good. And immediately, everybody say immediately. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who were in their boats mending their nets and immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and followed him. Now, I said it earlier, I'll say it again. The three synoptic gospels, um, they give a narrative of Jesus' public ministry that commenced in the second year. John alone gives an account of the events that happened in the first year 
of Jesus's ministry. And so what we're going to do over the next few minutes, we're going to go back and take a look at what I believe happened in the first year of Jesus's ministry leading up to this time where he's passing along the Sea of Galilee. I don't know about you, but I get excited about this stuff, man. It's kind of like fills in some of the blanks for me. And it's interesting because I consider myself a student of the word, but I, I couldn't match this stuff up, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the overflow of what I learned this week. So I'm calling around to people that I know, know the word, people that I trust, you know, like with seminary degrees and stuff, right? I'm like, so tell me about this timeline. I said, man, you are looking at the wrong thing. And so they explained to me what I explained to you earlier about the gospel writers not being concerned about chronology as much as they were concerned about capturing the life of Jesus Christ thematically. So, so John is the one that captures the, the narrative of the first year of Jesus' ministry. So let me run it down for you. It's after the temptation. Right? Jesus had been tempted in the wilderness. Um, he had been baptized by John the day before. Right? And um, it's probable that Jesus, after this, remained in Judea for some time. And John records that some of the, the, the Levites and the chief priests sent, sent uh messengers, if you will, down to Jerusalem to John to inquire whether or not he was Christ. Are you the Christ? Or is there someone else that we should look for? And here's what John told me. He said, no, I'm not the Christ, but I am the one whose voice is crying out in the wilderness. And, and I am baptizing with the baptism of repentance, but after me there's going to come one who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and the fire. And this person his shoes, I'm not even worthy to unlatch. Now, remember what I gave you the illustration about the shoes? And do you remember that? How many of you were here when I talked about the shoes? Remember how, how nasty I said people's feet were? Right? He says, so whose shoes, I'm not even worthy to unlatch. Now, here's what happens. So the next day, John is standing with two of his disciples. He's standing there, and Jesus, Jesus just walks by. You know, I told you, I think, I, I see Jesus like, almost like Morgan Freeman. You know, Morgan's just cool. So Jesus is just strolling, right? He's going to pass John by. And John goes, he's standing with two disciples and says, hey, look, behold, there is the Lamb of God. Right? And so Jesus continues to walk on, like, hey, John, what's up? He's just walking, and all of a sudden he's looking at his two guys following him. He's like, can I help you? And they say, we just want to know where you're staying. And Jesus says, well, come see where I'm staying. By the time they got to, to the place that Jesus was staying, it's like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I think the scripture says it was the 10th hour. So that'd be like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, getting evening time. So Jesus says, why don't you just kick it here with me for the evening? So they stay with Jesus for the evening. Those two disciples, one of them was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Next day, he gets up, beelines back to Peter. Hey, Peter, we found Messiah. Peter says, show me. So Andrew takes him to Peter, or to Jesus. Jesus hangs out with Peter and Andrew for a while and decides the next day he's going to go down to Galilee with the express purpose 
of finding Philip. Hmm. Stay on task. There's so much I want to say right now. So he finds Philip, and Philip goes and gets Nathaniel. And, and, and the Bible says that, that they, they venture down to Galilee together, wind up in Cana of Galilee. Now, earlier, Tammy was telling you about the story of the water being turned into wine. Remember that? that being Jesus' first miracle, Jesus is down in Cana, a Galilee, with four disciples, Peter, Andrew, Nathaniel, and Philip. They are with him, right? He goes to the wedding feast, and he's sitting there chilling. Everybody say chilling. And his mother comes up to him, which, I, you know, as I, was, I was studying this, I'm like, okay, now how many times has my mom, have my mom interrupted me when something important was happening, like it was fourth down and eight at the 10-yard at the line and the Steelers about to score? The Steelers. That's all I care about, by the way, you know, you football fans. And your mom, Greg, I need you to run to the store. I could just see Jesus. She's like, Mom, this is not my time yet. And then I could just see Mary knowing her son, knowing she, that he's going to do whatever she tells him to do. She's, she walks away, she's looking at Jesus like, uh -huh, yeah. And she, she pulls the service over and said, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Jesus tells the servants to get six, I think it's six water jars, each containing like up to 30 gallons. That's 240 gallons, Right? 240 gallons of fresh, never-tasted-before wine. Jesus turns the water into wine. Now, I was thinking, a little side journey here. I was thinking, maybe perhaps that's why I, there was this big buzz about following Jesus. <laughs> the thing about that man, who, I mean, that might have, could have very well been how that song, Oh, How I Love Jesus, came up. Because you know, he got that one like, mm, who, who made this wine, Jesus? Mm, I sure love me some Jesus. Well, it's oh, how I love. No, I'm just. <laughs> 240 gallons of fresh wine. Gallons of fresh wine. The good stuff. Save it for last. All right, I need to go find my notes because I got happy and lost my place. So, he makes $240 of wine. Soon after that, Jesus makes his way down up to, back up to Judea, and he has to travel through Capernaum. And he gets to Jerusalem, where, where he steps into the temple, looks at what's going on in the temple of Jerusalem, turns around and goes out, and comes back the next day with a whip. And he, he whips the money changers out of the temple. Now, now, without going into too much detail, the money lenders were working with the Pharisees and they were making lots of money in the temple. And so Jesus makes this statement, my father's house is supposed to be a house of worship, but you have made it a den of thieves and commenced to whipping them out of the temple. Pharisees heard about it. They didn't like it. One of the Pharisees' names 
was Nicodemus. He was one of the rulers of, of the Jewish sect. And he comes to Jesus by night. Now, why do you think that he came to Jesus by night? She said, a thief always comes in the night. <laughs> we'll pray for you, Heidi. <laughs> He's a Pharisee, man. Pharisees are starting to have this distaste for Jesus. So he comes to Jesus by night so he doesn't be seen by the other Pharisees. He says, hey, master, rabbi, teacher, I know that you must be of God because you can't do all these. Nobody can do all these things except for the be of God. And Jesus tells him this. He says, and Nicodemus says, I don't understand how you're doing this stuff. And Jesus says, you can't understand it. Because in order for you to understand it, you must be born again. Hold that thought. How many of you have unsaved loved ones or unsaved friends? that you've lived your life before them, you've talked to them about the gospel, you've lived the gospel out in front of them, but they just don't get it. They won't get it until they're born again. I'd venture to say this. There are things that you didn't understand about your relationship with Jesus Christ until you were born again. And all of a sudden, it was like, why didn't I see that before? Jesus goes on with his discourse of Nicodemus. That's where we get John 3 and 16. Well, Jesus says, for God, sent me, he, God sent me into the world to be the, re, the ransom for the world. Why? Because he loved the world so much that he gave me his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Nathaniel, Andrew, Philip, Peter were all around Jesus when this stuff was happening. So Jesus has to leave there. He leaves Jerusalem. If I go back to my notes. He leaves Jerusalem. And he has to pass through. He leaves Judea. He has to pass through Samaria. Where he encounters the woman at the well. All this is in the first year. He, where he encounters the woman at the well. Right? And if you know about the, the, the Jews' relations to the Samaritans, they didn't have good relationship. So, so you know, I, I don't know if this happened for sure, but I, I would imagine that something, something about this interaction played a role because, because on Jesus' way back to Galilee as he's passing through Samaria, he loses the other disciples. Peter and Andrew go back fishing, and we don't know what happens to Nathaniel and Philip. But he loses them. And this is where Mark's gospel picks this up. Hmm. So, the, dis the disciples of Jesus go back to doing what they were doing before. A year has passed. I'm going to read the passage of Scripture again so you can, it might open up in your mind. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time was fulfilled. Why is it fulfilled, Jesus? Because John is gone now. His time is done. He's in prison. As a matter of fact, he's about to be killed. The time is fulfilled. 
The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting their net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I often wondered what would cause these men to drop everything that they were doing to follow Jesus. I believe this passage tells us. I believe for whatever reason they had walked away from Jesus. And Jesus doesn't wait for them to come to him. He goes to them. He goes back to them and says, I'm calling you. Not just, not for a temporary call, but for a permanent call. I want you to follow me, and if you follow me, I'll promise you that I will show you how to be like me, how to live like me, how to do the things that I do, and I'll meet you right where you're at. You see, the disciples, I believe, left Jesus because they were wondering, why why aren't you stepping into being a Messiah? Why aren't you being the conquering king? In the book of, of Matthew, chapter 11, we find John the Baptist who baptized Jesus, sending his disciples down to Jesus, asking him, are you the one or should we wait for another? Even John had began to doubt if Jesus was the one. But now Jesus here in this passage is saying, the time, my time wasn't yet, but it is now. It's fulfilled. And I'm standing here in front of you, giving you a choice. The kingdom of God is at hand. I want you to turn away from what you were doing. That's what repentance means. And move towards the good news. And that is, no matter what you're going through, it is not bigger than me. And I'm willing to meet you there and walk with you through it. What are you going through today? What are you going through today that may have caused you to revert back to your old behaviors trying to solve problems on your own? What are you going through today where, where, where you know, you, you just feel like God's not answering my, my prayers fast enough? And so maybe I want to take this thing on myself. What are you wrestling with that you refuse to give to God or that you've given to him and you've taken it back? Why don't you stand with me? Here's what I want to leave you with today. Whatever you're going through, that is exactly where God wants you. And you might say, well, pastor, I made some bad mistakes, and so I'm suffering for my mistakes. I'm just waiting for God to come give me some reprieve, give me some relief. Wherever you're at, that's where God wants you. He's led you there. The question is, what is God saying to you about where you're at right now? And as disciples of Jesus Christ, what do you plan to do about it? Here's why. 
Because when we decide as followers of Jesus Christ to surrender everything to him, we will experience his perfect timing and provision in our lives because that's what he wants us to do. That's what he wants us to get to, the place where we totally surrender to his perfect will. I'd like everyone to bow their heads, close their eyes. Maybe you, like the disciples, were all excited when you first met Jesus. Somehow throughout the course of time, he didn't move fast enough for you. Or maybe you find yourself reverting back to those old behaviors that got you trapped in the beginning and you need hope. He is our hope. You don't have to wrestle with that thing anymore. You can surrender it to him. You can cast your cares on him for he cares for you. So maybe you're here in this moment and you're like, Lord, I want to surrender that to you. I want to surrender this area of my life to you. I'm inviting you to do that right now where you sit, where you stand. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. Maybe you've never had a personal encounter with him. You don't know what, what it means to have true joy, true life, because you'll never experience it outside of relationship with Jesus. If you're here today and you meet either one of those categories, I want to pray with you right now. We want to pray. If you've never received Jesus Christ in your life and you want to receive him today, I'd like for you to slip your hands up. Nobody looking. If you're here today and maybe perhaps you found yourself stuck in the rut that you were in before you met Jesus and you've, you now realize this thing that you've gone back to are old habits and old behaviors and they'll lead you nowhere and you want to give those things up to Jesus today. Why don't you slip your hand? I see your hand. I see your hand. Father, I want to pray for my sisters today as they stand in the place of choice. Your timing is always perfect. And yes, you indeed have brought them to this point of recognition where they know that they need you. Lord, I pray that whatever they find themselves struggling with, themselves struggling with, Lord, I pray that you will divinely intervene as they surrender these challenges to you. And Father, I join my faith with theirs right now that the problem or the circumstance that they found themselves wrestling with will begin to melt away as they do surrender their challenges to you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. If you remain